Welcome to a special edition of the On The Clock podcast, coming to you just a few minutes after midnight here on uh, Friday morning, April 28th. Round one of the NFL draft just wrapped up. Uh, We knew it was going to be kind of crazy, and I think it probably exceeded all expectations in that regard, starting with the number two pick, which we'll get into here momentarily. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Burke, at Chris Burke underscore SI. You can find the show at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, at si.com slash podcast. Uh, I'd also encourage you to go to si.com. Tons and tons of draft coverage on there, including our pick-by-pick grades for round one. We'll be doing the same for day two, rounds two and three, and then uh, our full grades at the end of the draft. And we'll be back with you here with another episode of On the Clock, which we'll tape Saturday night whenever round seven wraps up, uh, sort of looking back at everything. But I'll welcome in now Eric Single at Eric underscore single. And... uh, (laughs) I don't know where you want to start. Um, I, got, I mean, I guess we can start at two, but where did that rank for you in terms of crazy first rounds? You've been you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, and this is definitely, by my own admission, the the closest I've ever been locked in to the the NFL draft from sort of top to bottom. But I cannot think of a first round with more independently intriguing storylines not just the ripple effect of of one person or one team making decision but a third of the league made just like fascinating decisions whether it was what they traded or who they picked or their general approach or what they have coming down the line here i was thoroughly uh entertained against all odds you (laughs) we we make fun of the nfl draft being such a spectacle but that was a truly like gripping four hours for me at least no i I thought it was it was great yeah (laughs) it was really great i I think some of it is that when we have these a lot of times when we have the really sort of earth-shaking trades they happen before we get to the actual draft you know it happened philadelphia and la both traded up early last year the uh rg3 trade uh, with washington going up happened early we it doesn't always happen where there's this much movement and just such huge moves and San Francisco and Chicago swapping the two, three, I think sort of set everything up to go off the rails early, but then Kansas city going way up, Houston going way up both for quarterbacks, Kansas city getting mm-hmm. Mahomes, uh, Houston getting Sean Watson. Uh, and, and it really didn't stop. I mean, there were trades up th- right on down through the 31st pick with San Francisco I mean, San Francisco getting Reuben Foster at 31 might be the best pick of round one when all is said and done. I, I don't know that you can say enough about what John Lynch did on Thursday night. Just we didn't really know what it was going to be. You never know with a rookie GM, especially rookie GM, rookie coach, how it's going to go. And obviously there's still six rounds left, but that was kind of a master class from John Lynch on day one. Yeah, I I have a lot of lingering questions about the 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 pick at number two and exactly how they got the bears to bite but just going on pure results you gotta tip your cap to to san francisco i mean the number of defenders that not only linebackers but just general defenders that aren't at that elite tier of their position that came off the board before reuben foster in in this round might end up being looking ridiculous obviously they took full advantage of of the the red flags and the diluted sample, use that to profit off it. But coming, I mean, he really pulled all the strings at the right time. I think he, even coming back into the first round, almost to get Foster before teams had 18 hours here to sort of 
uh, <laughs> right. st- stand back yeah. and be like, wait a minute, Ruben Foster is still available. That that can't be right. Um, that that <laughs> and I think... Green Bay was at thirty is at thirty three now because they traded back, and that's certainly if they had been sitting there all night, that's a team that he might have been gone. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't right think there. I don't think the Saints would be hurt by having Foster either. So the no. the, the two right behind them are, are are definitely right there. So it was the right move at the right time there. Well, let's, man, yeah, just a lot to unpack. Uh, and I think it. we knew how deep this class was, at least we, everyone sort of thought this class was defensively. And then one, two, two, three, three, four, five, six, yeah, seven of the top ten. It was Garrett at one, Thomas at three. That's nuts. Jamal Adams at six, and then seven offensive players in the top ten, which alone was – just such a shock because it pushed down. Uh, I mean, Malik Hooker was at 15. Jonathan Allen, who obviously has the the shoulder concerns, was at 17. We just talked about Foster, but um, yeah, man, just insane how that first that top 10 played out. And I, you know, go through the trades here because I think those were really the big moments for the most part in this draft in round one. And it started right at number two. You mentioned the Hall, San Francisco. Gave up that second pick, moved back one spot, got an extra third rounder at number 67, an extra fourth rounder, number 111, which had then traded to Seattle as part of the move to go up and get Reuben Foster. So it's already paying off for him, uh, that number 111 pick, and a 2018 third rounder. Chicago gave up all that to go up and get Mitchell Trubisky, and that was the lowest grade I gave in round one, and a lot of that has to do with I think you and I are on similar pages with Trubisky. Yes. Neither of us thought he was the best quarterback in this class or the second or third best quarterback in this class for that matter. No. Uh, and so to get, you know, roll the dice like that after you sign Mike Glennon and you give up all that for that one spot jump, like you said, I either there was another team, maybe Cleveland was trying to go up 10 spots to get Trubisky there, or there was another team thinking Trubisky, or John Lynch convinced Chicago that there was another team thinking Trubisky because clearly the 49ers were fine not getting Trubisky themselves, and Chicago was number three. So in theory, he might have been there anyway. I it's I don't know. This is sort of this is one of those moments where now the entire fate of Chicago's front office and coaching staff kind of hinges on this move. Yeah, it's a big it's a big risk. I'll be interested to check out their press conference and see exactly what made them certain enough, excited enough about Trubisky to to move up. I mean, it doesn't seem... <laughs> Does any part of you like it, I guess? I mean, because I, the, the talk... No. When we were hearing about Trubisky at one, which never really made sense either, but when we were hearing about Trubisky possibly going at one, the argument was if you want, if you have a guy, you have a quarterback, you think he's your franchise guy... You got to get him, mm-hmm. whatever the cost. The cost is just really high, and it seems like you would pay that sort of cost for some degree of certainty, and you just can't have certainty with who Trubisky is. And, I mean, I th- in in a way, not that they had their quarterback board settled in early March, but they signed Mike Glennon with sort of a tacit understanding that this is a guy in case we don't get the quarterback that we want and Jake Heller is going to be gone, we, we have somebody to, to take care of the, the team for a couple of years if, if we need him to. But we'll see what happens, and we'll obviously look quarterback in the draft. I, there are safer bets in the draft with as high a ceiling as Trubisky, and even if Trubisky is your top quarterback, which 
as we've discussed, he's not mine or yours. There's definitely not this giant gulf in almost any part of his game between him and some of those other guys that we've been talking about. I mean, I was watching one of the ESPN highlight B-roll packs this afternoon when they were talking him up right in the height of those rumors. And they were talking about his mobility and his arm. And we got guys in this draft, like other teams took in the first round quarterbacks that are plenty mobile and were used that way in college and can make decisions on the run. And with a giant arm and quarterbacks that play their best in the clutch against top challengers, talking about Deshaun Watson. Um, so I, I don't I don't know what trait of his is like a full standard deviation better than one of those <laughs> other guys. And like that yeah. feels like it's something that you would move up to pick two for. If it works out, if Trubisky is everything Chicago thinks he is, obviously, I don't think they're going to feel bad that they gave up 67-111 and a third rounder next year. I mean, if he's an all-pro guy, not even an all-pro guy, if he's a really good starter in three years, four years, they're signing him to a second contract, he's locked in as your starter, those picks won't mean anything. But (laughs) I don't know that he is that guy. And now you're already, I mean, I think you're already comparing him to what San Francisco did, which is walked out around one with Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster using your pick. And the Bears could have done a similar, I mean, he could have not gone quarterback, could have gone Jamal Adams and gone back up for Reuben Foster. I mean, not even gone back up for Reuben Foster. I mean, you go go Adams or uh, someone else on defense there and, and, man, it's it's such a huge gamble and just such a price tag to pay that I assume Cleveland had to be the other team just based on what happened the rest of the top 15. Cleveland had to be the team that was thinking about that move to come back. Yeah. But yeah, that that one for me, I just don't, I really just don't know about that one for so, me. It just feels like such a huge price tag to pay for a guy that you know so little about relative to these other draft picks. Yeah, so I'm trying to I'm trying to quickly scroll down and see when, okay, there's their next pick. They pick, they pick fourth tomorrow uh, on, yep. day, on day two, round two, pick 36. And then that's their last pick as of right now until pick number 117, which is early in round four on day three. So they get one shot at a day two guy. And I guess we don't have to go through all their needs again, but like secondary is still there. And we talked about how deep secondary is, but like they still lost a chance at a lot of guys in making this move. And now if they don't address it here, then they don't get another shot to until two or three whole geological layers of of secondary prospects are off the board on on into round four, so it just it just puts a lot of pressure on on their on their next pick that it has to be a another high impact guy when you come out of this draft with so few so few chances in a in, in a class that we thought was like pretty deep where it might might have been a better idea to take a couple of shots and see see what you can get. I don't know, it's confusing. Yeah. I mean, I think you've got to try to look to trade down from thirty six at this point. Yeah, um, which. It's tough because there are quite a few good players available at the top of day two, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I think you've got to try and go back and and slide down in day two, maybe pick up a at least pick up like a compensatory pick in the third round, something like that. And hope someone wants to come up. Philadelphia is at 43 and then has a comp pick. And I'm sure there are other Denver is that 51 has a comp pick in the third round. I mean, someone like that comes up. So then you're picking you at least have two top 100 picks after Trubisky. But yeah, I mean, it, it's got to work for them because they put so much on the line here. Uh, the next trade, and this one, frankly, I mean, the Bears one, 
was shocking because of what they gave up. This one was shocking because of how much ground the team covered. The Chiefs went up 17 spots in round one to get Pat Mahomes at number 10. Uh, gave up 27, 91, and next year's 2018 first rounder to Buffalo. So uh, a really good haul again for Buffalo because they had that third round pick. They still got Tre'Davious White. Um, I, you know, I think they could have looked. At, Lattimore was still there at 10, so maybe he would have been their pick if they had stayed put. O.J. Howard slipped down to uh, 19. I think he's a guy they might have considered. So they they could have done something with 10, obviously, but to go back and get Tredavious White, who should be a starter for them, at least in the slot, if nothing else, and get the extra third rounder and get a first rounder next year when the quarterback class could be better than this year and they might need someone at that point to replace Tyron Taylor. I mean, I think this was a really good trade for the Bills, but I I don't know that I I don't have nearly as many complaints about this one for the Chiefs as I did for the Bears because I feel like there's much a much clearer plan in place for the Chiefs. I mean, this is a team that's already a playoff contender. Alex Smith there can start if you need him to maybe he's your guy for a year or two Mahomes develops gets ready to take over probably I mean he's a totally different quarterback than Alex Smith opens up that offenses in ways Alex Smith hasn't been able to so I think that one makes sense I mean it comes with some of the same questions where you need Mahomes to develop otherwise this is a complete bust and you've given up two drafts to go get him but I think that the gamble makes more sense here than it did for the Bears even though the price tag is Again, pretty steep, even steeper here because you gave up an extra first rounder. Yeah, maybe it's just the way the trend has turned that it's a lot more acceptable these days that if you are a contending team, you make these big swings. Like I, I remember thinking this uh, during the Jimmy Graham trade. It's like you can you can do some crazy stuff if you feel like you are so so close to moving from the fourth best team in the league to one of the top two teams in the league. So. And, and and the Chiefs have a lot of they've shown that one if Mahomes develops very slowly or not at all the Chiefs have gotten by with less than spectacular quarterback play before like when Alex Smith has sat for some reason so I, I feel like they they seem confident enough in the parts of their team that they have built without the quarterback and Alex Smith has definitely shown his value in the, in the last couple of years but they can also win enough games to get by uh, without him if they are trying to to usher in a new a new franchise quarterback sort of gradually so I, I think that gives them some leeway in in giving up uh, draft capital uh, I guess if I had to pick a quarterback that you were, that some team was going to jump 17 spots for, it wouldn't have been Mahomes just because he was such, everyone sort of assumed that he was going to be a project in this first round, at least. Um, but they on SI's live draft show, people were talking about how Andy Reid's connection with Brett Favre and sort of the best case scenario as far as playing style goes with Mahomes is that sort of Favre-like gunslinger and uh, and and the potential productivity that could come out of a marriage between an offensive line like, like Reed and Mahomes. So maybe there was just a super strong connection there uh, that they that they felt compelled to do. But even if even if they just liked him, uh, it's a it's a worthy aggressive move. Yeah, I mean, I think it was clearly to get in front of Cleveland who was still at 12, and then Arizona was the one I think a lot of people thought Mahomes may end up with because of how he fits in that Bruce Arians, or would have fit in that Bruce Arians offense at 13. So you wanted to be aggressive there. But then Cleveland had 
obviously had a chance at one to pick a quarterback and had a chance at 12 to take Deshaun Watson, traded that 12th pick to the Texans, who then took Deshaun Watson. The Browns got number 25, and they added another first-round pick next year. I was surprised that they moved out of the, that the Browns moved out of that pick, and I guess it's uh, I'm assuming it's because they had their sights set on. Trubisky, maybe they didn't feel as good about Deshaun Watson. I think if Hugh Jackson liked Deshaun Watson, they would have stuck there and made that pick. But, I mean, this is a pick that could have a big impact on next season. I mean, Deshaun Watson, to me, is going to be the starting quarterback in Houston unless he's just absolutely miserable in training camp in the preseason. Because, I I mean, Tom Savage is not very good. Brandon Whedon's obviously not winning that job. I think Deshaun Watson's drafted to be the starter this year, which is why the Texans were willing to give up in 2018 first rounder, but I was pretty shocked at that point that the, that Cleveland didn't just take Watson themselves. Yeah, that's a head scratcher for me. I mean, this is this is what Andy Staples wanted. Uh, he was swung by the offices and and he was sort of excited in a in a vengeful way since he loves Deshaun Watson and wrote a column for us about why he's the the only sure thing out of this quarterback class. He was looking forward to a good contending team taking him and getting immediately markedly better. And everyone feeling dumb for for letting a guy like that fall into the hands of a team with a decent infrastructure in place, and then and then immediately contending. So I don't know. I it really ramps up. I hate to say this so so early, but the AFC South is going to be another like wide open, but like really compelling if you can get past the fact that it's the AFC South division next year because we have the defending champions just got a quarterback that a lot of people think is the most ready to go in the class and then we have Marcus Mariota's next step and then Andrew Luck hopefully back at full health so I don't know I feel like the Texans made the made the right move in in jumping up here if they thought that Watson wasn't gonna wasn't gonna make it back into the late teens early 20s um because for my money he's he's definitely the most ready and I, I guess it'll be interesting to see exactly how he fits in with what O'Brien does on offense because that's it, not exactly what they did at Clemson but nothing about his outward personality makes me feel like that won't be a pretty easy transition for him to make yeah I want to circle back to the AFC South in a minute because I think that there's still a clear fourth place team at the moment that made yeah. an interesting pick in the sure. top five. Um, but uh, the, before we get off the Browns, a really interesting round one for them because they just stay put. They take Garrett at one as everyone expected them to do, even though there were the Trubisky rumors. I think everyone thought Garrett was going to be the guy there. As I said, trade out of uh, that 12 spot at a first rounder next year, then traded back in to the first round giving up 33 and 108 to get David Njoku. They used that 25th pick on Jabril Peppers. So they come out of day one with Garrett, Peppers, and Njoku uh, down their own fourth rounder and second rounder, but up a 2018 first rounder. How does all that (laughs) add up for you? I mean, did they have, it feels like they had a pretty good day, but they still don't have a quarterback. I'm not entirely sure what they're doing with Peppers. And... Njoku is maybe a guy who's really good for them down the line, but is also kind of a borderline luxury pick for a team that was the worst in the league last year. Exactly. I this just like didn't really do it for me. I'm I'm super glad they took Miles Garrett, obviously. Um and yeah. and I think I think for the Browns purposes, they feel like they had a really good day. Like I I don't know how 
desperate they were to get to get all the way up to two and get Trubisky. But like this whole volume picks thing is clearly their deal. But like I am not, I don't think I'm in on Njoku the way a lot of people are, especially for a team like that. As, which, as you said, it's not it's not one of their dire pressing needs. I mean, offensive weapons for sure, but there's other more sure things that could help them get a little better right away and rolling the dice. I guess that's the point of having a lot of first round picks, but uh, some people might argue that they might be better off using all of their early picks on high floor guys so they really reduce their own personal franchise floor up from being a one-win team and, and start getting better slowly but uh so I, I can understand why they would be pretty happy but I, I don't I don't love being aggressive to get in Joku and maybe just waiting for him to come to you Peppers I feel better about than him you gave him the same you gave him the same B grade when you were grading these I think I made the argument at some point that a positionless guy quote-unquote positionless guy like Peppers uh, when your defense is as bad as the Brown is maybe it's good to have a guy that you aren't definitively covering up one hole he can address a few different holes in a small way so so I'm I'm sort of okay with that but those last two picks there were other impact guys that if they wanted three first rounders they could have gotten three first rounders with a higher expected value in the the 50 percent probability outcome than than what they actually got and so I I don't love I don't love that um so I'm I'll be interested to see how they use the rest of their picks and whether or not they keep moving things around and I mean obviously next year they're still pretty loaded up right at some point in the draft uh Peter King pointed out they have two first round picks next year and three second round picks next year is that still the case or did they trade some away yeah and I mean I think that's the one takeaway I get from this first round for for Cleveland is and I think to a large extent this is a good thing because it it shows that they're not kind of in panic desperation mode. If they didn't like the quarterbacks where they were, okay, you don't take a quarterback, you don't reach for a quarterback. I think this is a pretty clear indication that they're still willing to chalk up 2017 as like let's keep building this thing. Yeah. You know, we don't have to try and go from one win to eight and eight. You know, let's if we're three and thirteen and we pick number two next year and okay, so be it. Because Peppers is a guy, I, I mean, I like Peppers. I had a round one grade on him. I think he's someone that really fits how you need to defend sort of the modern spread NFL offenses. And you look around that division, the way that you're getting some very different looks from a team like Pittsburgh than you would a team like Cincinnati. Uh, I mean, I think he'll help them. I think he'll give them someone maybe on offense, on special teams. So I, I think it's a solid pick. And, and Joku, uh, you know, you put in Joku and Gary Barnage together, and that gives you the opportunity to do some really interesting things. And maybe Njoku helps you fill the the void you uh, created for yourself a little bit um, with losing Terrell Pryor. I mean, I know they, they've made some moves since then, but I, I think that they can be very good picks down the road. But to me, it's this, you know, at this point, they're probably going into 2000. 17 without a really obvious answer at quarterback unless they do swing a trade for Kirk Cousins or I don't know talk Jay Cutler into coming or something I mean I I think they're going in 2017 with Osweiler and Kessler and seeing what they have and looking at 2018 so I think they're you know it's not going to be a a, I don't think it's going to be a really fun year again for the Cleveland, but I think it's a good sign that they use those guys. They sort of stuck to their plan that they're willing to let this thing build and and do it slowly and do it the way they think they need to do it. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean Peppers and Njoku turn out the right way or that they don't regret 
I mean, they've now had opportunities to draft several quarterbacks over the past two drafts and have declined to do so. At some point, they've got to do that. I mean, like, they talked, uh, both Sashi Brown and Hugh Jackson talk at the Combine about how, the, you know, if they have to go into to next season with the guys they have, and all right, they'll 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 deal with it. They think they have can develop some stuff there, but they didn't want to, and now it looks like they're going to have to, so... Yeah, I was in a zone. I was in a zone listening to you talk, and then you said Brock Osweiler's name, and I was like, "Oh yeah, they haven't they, <laughs> have, they haven't done that salary dump thing that everyone assumed that trade was for. He might still be around. Uh, maybe he's their game. Might be their starter maybe, at this point. Maybe he's the guy. Yeah. So I, I mean, I it, I think they are clearly building, trying to build, but I don't know. I'm interested to see what they do. They're up again. They gave away 33 now to move up for Njoku. I think that probably was because. They wanted to get in front of Pittsburgh, I'm assuming, at 30. But they're on the clock again now at 52. I'm interested to see if they go quarterback there. I mean, they still need a quarterback, I think, at least. Somewhere in this draft, I think they're taking a quarterback. And whether it's if Kaiser slips there, I guess maybe if Davis Webb is people really like him. You know, Josh Dobbs is a guy uh, I'm pretty sure that Cleveland likes a decent amount. I don't know if they'd use a second rounder on him, but curious to see where they go from there. So, uh, yeah, but I, I... I don't know. I I've, I'm with you. I didn't. I thought it was a really intriguing day for them. I think obviously getting an extra first rounder next year is great, but I don't feel like they accomplished as much to make themselves better next year that they as they could have. Uh, and I said I wanted to circle back to the AFC South because Leonard Fournette's kind of right at the heart of what happened in the top ten. Uh, Chicago went up for Trubisky, and then Fournette was at four. Corey Davis was five. Mike Williams seven. McCaffrey eight. Ross nine. And Mahomes ten. He said seven of the top ten were offensive players. Fournette was the one that everyone kind of expected. I think at four to Jacksonville. I don't. I'm okay with that pick. I gave it a B grade too. But could the Jaguars have done better? I guess that's my question. Would they have been better off doing something else there? I think so. I don't know. I feel like I'm nervous about how how far on the low end of Fournette I've been at a couple different points in the draft process because when healthy, he almost never fails to meet the super lofty expectations. I mean, they, they got into a position where, I mean, even people were sort of, I don't know, sobering up about Solomon Thomas down the stretch of the of the draft process here like well this guy maybe not it maybe isn't a top three pick so here are these other defenders that could go in there so the Jaguars had their had their choice of defensive backs in the draft they could have taken Jamal Adams would have been an interesting pick I don't know I don't want to get too low on Fournette so I guess I guess I'm I guess I'm fine with with this yeah I'm really I'm really split it's one of those things where he he could should be an upgrade for them at running back the Bortles thing I, I don't know if he I don't know if that just like changes their offense completely from this Blake Bortles Allen Robinson throw it around a lot situation to a, a more just a total like stylistic change but I mean he's he's really good but now you you used your top five pick on a running back and the other parts of your team that are also very much holes are sort of at the mercy of the draft from here. So that I think that's the part that's that's holding me back. Just sort of the what might have been with the defenders. Um, I guess we we saw some of those guys that I threw out there. They had the option of fall pretty far 
and out of the top 10 and stuff. So maybe maybe to NFL teams, it wasn't as crammed of a field in there to choose from as, as I'm making it out to be. But they definitely had other options that could make them immediately better. And I agree with you that probably going to end up still pretty far behind the, the rest of the division here based on the, how this has started. We'll see how the rest of the draft goes, though. Yeah, well, a couple things quickly. I mean, I think what you mentioned about the guys falling is interesting, and I wonder how much that played into this decision because I think Jonathan Allen was the guy that, you know, Allen or Thomas, if one of them had been there, I think was sort of the match everyone was expecting because Tom Coughlin's a guy who likes to build in the trenches. They've got depth up front now, and they brought in Kalea Campbell, but they could have used one more guy to help them, especially generate some pass rush. And so those were sort of the names that were interesting to help him give him more of a rotation up front. But Thomas obviously has gone at three. Allen fell to 17. So if that's really where his value was in the middle of the round because of the injuries, maybe he didn't make sense for them at four. And offensively, you know, they didn't really need a wide receiver. They just signed Barry Church. So maybe they didn't think they needed Jamal Adams. I mean, I don't know that that would have scared me away from taking Jamal Adams. Uh, I, I probably would have preferred that pick I think but maybe they they at least thought they were okay there they don't need to, they didn't need OJ Howard necessarily so I I kind of wonder if they got stuck and wonder if they tried to trade down and couldn't and or if they really wanted Leonard Fournette I, and then the second thing is I think you're right I think this does have to change their offense and I don't know how they do it because Blake Bortles has been better and he's never been great as an NFL quarterback but he's been better and seems more comfortable out of the shotgun I don't know that Leonard Fournette's necessarily a great fit for that. And this offensive line, you know, this isn't Ezekiel Elliott to Dallas. This offensive line is no. not that offensive line in Dallas. I mean, it's it's one that maybe is okay this year, but it certainly doesn't look great on paper. So it's, it's not odd fit overall. I mean, I, I get it to some extent, but I just don't know. I don't know how this necessarily on its own pushes them closer to being competitive in that division. Yeah. Uh, and then I mentioned that I think I was really surprised that the wide receiver run happened so early. Me too. Because very... even earlier in the day, I guess I kind of bought into the the chatter that had been out there and that <laughs> sort of the danger. I mean, it, a few weeks ago, probably would have had all of Corey Davis, John uh, John Ross and Mike Williams in the top 16 to 18 picks like that Tennessee spot at 18 was kind of one where I was thinking if they went like Lattimore or someone at five they'd take a wide receiver there but that was sort of the rain like the floor for those three guys and then these last couple of weeks we'd been hearing teams were worried about Corey Davis because he had been working out teams were worried about John Ross's medicals which we always knew were kind of an issue but it was unclear how much of an issue and then we get to the night, and Corey Davis goes five, Mike Williams goes seven, which that was, I think, a surprise pick, and and John Ross goes nine. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite among those picks? I mean, I like it was it was very surprising to see the run happen that early. Yeah, I I very confidently told some friends that I went to the Mets game last night with that Mike Williams wasn't going to go in the top ten. You could afford to be patient with receivers. Personal level, I really like Mike Williams on the Chargers. Team fun, man. Team fun. <laughs> Maybe not the logical level. I like Corey Davis a lot, but Mike Williams sort of fits to type as this excellent jump ball receiver, giant physical presence, can go get balls for you downfield. 
I don't know. It's a that's a terrifying weapon for the Chargers to consistently have if they can keep one healthy. And I am intrigued by John Ross on the Bengals a lot. Certainly a different sort of compliment to AJ Green and an interesting message about how they feel about somebody like Tyler Boyd. But like I think I think I'm just gonna stick with with Williams because just from watching what he what he was in college, I think that's a that's that's going to be a good fit for the Chargers. I they certainly could have gone elsewhere other than receiver, but if they're going to go receiver, I think as far as top ten talents go, there's not a million of those giant jump ball machine, uh, super physical guys around this year or any year. So so I'm I'm okay with them taking the leap there on Williams. I love the Davis fit. I would have yeah. loved it more at 18. Uh, or somewhere closer to that yeah, range. Clearly, that wasn't happening. <laughs> but I, I, I love that fit in that offense. Just the, you know that quote unquote exotic smash mouth that they run. I think it's an offense where they want to use some play action, get the ball out of Mariota's hands. Corey Davis is a great yards after the catch receiver. I think he'll be outstanding in that offense. I love that fit. I think the John Ross fit makes a lot of sense too. And that was a spot where if Davis had been there, I think Bengals could have gone that route. But uh, someone to h- help stretch the field, help open things up for A.J. Green. The Williams one I like in theory for the reasons you mentioned. I think Phillip Rivers has had very good success with big receivers in the past. And and even last year, you know, that they sort of uncovered some bigger receivers they went along. But I don't think they necessarily went into last year thinking they had proven guys out there. I just think they missed an opportunity to make the defense better and to see hooker slide to 15 that was the guy who'd sort of pegged at seven for them and obviously there were linebackers there i that defense at some point they've got to bring in some more talent it can't just be bosa and melvin ingram and you know i, I don't know that you're going to get the same year in 2017 that you got from casey hayward 2016 i mean there's still quite a few holes on that defense i i wonder i kind of circle we i mentioned hooker was always kind of the match there. I, I wonder if they might go Marcus Williams early day two, similar sort of center fielder type, get a safety back there. But that's my big knock for that pick. You know, they they could have used a wide receiver certainly, but I don't know that that was the top issue on their board. So that's my only complaint there. Um, you bite your tongue about Casey Hayward. <laughs> I, amen. Keep his name uh, out your mouth. He was, uh, yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere <laughs> last year though. Uh, maybe he does it again. I, I think Jason Verrett will be better eventually. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't know. And there are, speaking of deep positions, there there's a heck of a lot of good cornerbacks that got round one buzz at some point that are around uh, for day two. So that's a place they can look. Sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I mentioned Marcus Williams. Day two for me almost is more fun than day one. Uh, although this year day one was great as we talked about. But day two, I think... And this class really looks like up and down through day two, you should be able to get starters all the way through round three. I mean, I think it's deep enough that we're going to see guys picked in the 90 to 100 range that are pretty much penciled in as starters next year. And I mentioned Marcus Williams. He's a guy I really like going into tomorrow. But a few other names I'll throw out, Quincy Wilson, uh, Malik McDowell, Zach Cunningham. Tim Williams is one that I had ranked high and I think we knew was going to fall. Cam Robinson, Forrest Lamp both fell out of day one. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser fell out of day one. Davis Webb. Joe Mixon's there. Buda Baker's there. Uh, and then a couple of Big Ten guys I like, Pat Elfline and uh, Chris Wormley. 
anyone else that I missed or anyone among that group that you really like and think is off the board pretty early tomorrow or today? I mean, I guess it's later today. It is today. Uh, yeah. So, so these hope people are listening to these picks early. Uh, I think I'm a little interested in the receivers. They didn't all have that round one cachet that some of those other guys have, but I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster, Carlos Henderson, AKA this drafts, Antonio Brown, Zay Jones, Josh Reynolds, those guys all should be gone by the end of tonight. There's there's a lot of talent there and a lot of interesting uh, projects. So I'll be be interested in in checking that out and seeing exactly where they go. And then there's a decent amount of pass rushing talent off the edge and yeah up the middle. And Caleb Brantley is sort of out of the picture uh, with his uh, legal issues. And you mentioned McDowell, but there's a, a glut of guys that are there's not a lot of separation in between them as far as to sort of like overall grade, but they all do a, a, a different, they can serve a, different, a couple different purposes and it might be just a matter of preference whether one goes 20 picks ahead of the other or, or it's the other way around. So um, I'll be interested in those two positions sort of at the outset, in addition to seeing if, as you predicted, uh, we will set the quarterbacks taken in the first three rounds record which we, we seem pretty close. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. See, like feel like Webb and Kaiser will be gone pretty early. And then Josh Dobbs is who I've really circled as the guy that sneaks into that group with, with Kaya and, and makes it eight for a record. Yeah, and Peterman too. I mean, McDowell, yeah, it. I don't know. I think McDowell will go pretty early. And I actually was just thinking about him. Uh, he's not the same player as Solomon Thomas or Jonathan Allen, but talked about Jacksonville passing up Allen and maybe thinking about Thomas there. Maybe Jacksonville goes Malik McDowell early uh, in round two and, and adds him to that rotation up front. Um, Dalvin Cook also fell out of round one. We heard that might happen. That was sort of the rumor. Uh, you know, he didn't test very well at all and had some fumbling problems. There were the off-field concerns for as much as you want to buy into those. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll, we did some prop bets last on the clock leading into the draft, I'll throw out a prop bet for you here. Uh, who goes first Friday, Dalvin Cook or uh, Joe Mixon? Oh, man. It better be Cook. <laughs> it better be Cook. I think his red flags are obviously a little more nebulous, and maybe it's a I, – I, it's so – it's so – it's tough to get into this without having actually done the, the legwork like the scouts hopefully have, but, I mean – if you take if you take a guy that is on video punching a woman over that that's a whole other conversation but like you're going to you're putting yourself in a really bad position comparatively to almost anybody Mixon's going to go tomorrow so it doesn't really matter what any of this preaching leads to but you you get the sense that with Cook out of the first round that maybe takes some pressure off of this aggregate of off-field issues that he's accumulated in his lead-up to the NFL. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Cook. I obviously yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to be wrong, but I'm gonna stick with Cook. <laughs> right, that's the thing. I wouldn't. I think Cook deserved talent-wise to be in round one. Um, I'm also looking through early round two, trying to figure out exactly where there's a fit, and I don't know necessarily. It's Green Bay, Seattle, Jacksonville, Chicago, the Rams, right out of the hop. I mean, I don't necessarily see an obvious fit for a running back there. Cincinnati at 41 is kind of the one for me, but they just took Ross, so I don't know that they'd go 
running back there again. Carolina just took a running back. I mean, or Cincinnati took a wide receiver, so I don't know that they go offense again. Carolina took a running back there at 40. Uh, the Jets maybe could go one of those guys at That's 39. And Philadelphia's at, at 43. I, I mean, I think it happens. I think I, I predicted before the draft that Mixon was a top 50 pick. I still think that happens. I think Cook's probably in that mix too. So you two running backs kind of early. Do you? Where do you think Kaiser goes at this point? Because uh, Cleveland traded out of that 33rd spot. San Francisco traded out of that 34th spot. And Chicago's at 36. They're not – I mean, I guess we don't <laughs> – can't assume anything with the Bears at this point. But I'm assuming they're not taking quarterback, quarterback to open the 2017 draft. So do you have a, any predictions for Deshaun Kaiser in round two? I'm not totally out on him ending up with the Browns uh, anyway, whether or not they, they make another move up or he, he falls back. I guess, I guess maybe like About Arizona. Oh yeah, they they are still hanging out there. Yeah, I, he'll he'll be gone by Arizona's pick at forty five. Whether it's Arizona or I'm, I'm going to say the Browns or or some team that I'm not thinking of jumps up ahead because I feel like that's that's easy. I think he makes yeah. sense as a guy that that Bruce Arians would really love tools wise and uh, would be willing to sort of mold um, and give a year under Carson Palmer and then unleash. So. I wouldn't be surprised to say that that circled. That's a that's a good pick. Yeah, there's not really. I mean, Cleveland's 52, but they're and Washington's 49. Maybe that's kind of a wild card. Yeah, I was just picturing um, what Davis Webb looked like in Redskins <laughs> uniform. There's not a ton of quarterback needy teams down below that, especially now like you know Kansas City, Houston, both picked up quarterbacks. I don't know. I mean, Pittsburgh, I think New Orleans, some of those teams we talked about as wild cards for round one, maybe get in there. But yeah, I, I, I would. Arizona at 45 is kind of the one for me. I think I think I'm with you. I think that's maybe the floor for Kaiser. I still don't. I still am not entirely convinced Davis Webb is going to be a round two guy myself or the fifth quarterback off the board. But I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Um, any parting thoughts on round one or what's to come in round two? I'm just I'm I'm going to punt the the Gary and Conley pick for another two days so that we can take it within context since the story has moved so fast. It seems like everyone was hesitating to give a strong take. And I mean, you, you gave the grade a, a TBD, which it makes 100% sense. So I'm going to pass on that and maybe we can come back on Saturday and see how everything looks from a little farther back. Our, our resident Buck fans in the office, Bet Marston and Ryan Hunt, were fired up about the O.J. Howard pick. Uh, the Alabama slide was funny until they all started coming off the board, so it's no longer an issue. Alabama's still good. That's pretty much all all I, I can take away. Yeah, the Conley one, I told you when we were just working on the site, I didn't really know how to grade it because I don't. we don't know if he's telling the truth. I mean, and it was Ian Rappaport on the NFL Network reported that he took a, a polygraph and passed it, so certainly that points toward him telling the truth in this matter, which he said the accusation was false, and hopefully that's the case, and, and he can move on, and the Raiders, if that's true, if, I mean, if that is, if he, if not, this allegation is false, and, and he can get past it and moved on, that the Raiders got themselves a really good cornerback, and I actually think Marlon Humphrey, to me, I, I don't, I didn't give that a very good pick, or a good grade to Baltimore, because I Marlon Humphrey was lower on my board, he wasn't one of my favorites in this class. I knew we knew he was going to go somewhere in round one, I think. But and same thing with Adore Jackson. Like I get it, uh, the production and the athleticism, but he wasn't one of my favorites. I think Gary and Conley, 
is a guy that kind of stands out in this class behind Lattimore. So, you, I mean, it, it's, it's a talented player. So hopefully all this off-field ugliness is fabricated. Um, the one more that I'll mention we didn't really touch on, I thought the Evan Engram pick was really interesting by the Giants. Yeah, I'm, I, I had to defend that from some people in our, <laughs> in our group slack. I'm, I'm on board. You've convinced me on Engram. I really like Ingram. I think he, I had him as the number two tight end. That particular fit is interesting <laughs> because it's the Giants, and it's just such a Giants pick. I had for a while now, you know, offensive line made a lot of sense for them. Linebacker, I mean, I think at this point it's pretty clear they're just never, ever going to take another linebacker in the first round. Um, but linebacker made sense, but I kept coming back to Njoku there because I thought getting another pass catcher, getting another weapon, and just totally leaning into that and stretching the field going four or five wide might be their play. Ingram's going to be a really good weapon for them with, man, Beckham, Marshall, Sterling Shepard. They pretty much can just go four wide in every play and and open up the field. Uh, That might look as much like a college offense as anything there is in the league next year. Kind of an outside-the-box pick, but I I think Engram's going to be a really good pro. So that was, I wanted to mention that one too. The Ramchick pick at the end of the night was a surprise for me. I didn't really expect the Saints to go offensive line either, but uh, since we're pushing an hour now, (laughs) we'll wrap this up so you have time to listen to this before round two gets going. Um, But yeah, round two should be a lot of fun too. Um, Pick 33 is Green Bay on the way, all the way down through pick 107, which currently is the Jets at the bottom of round three. So I said, we'll be back here at the end of round seven. We'll record another pod for you and and get that up, recapping everything that's gone on uh, in the draft and trying to come up with some conclusions about what happened in the 253 picks that this draft has. And uh, so invite you again to go back, check out On the Clock on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, SI.com slash podcast, a bunch of interviews with uh, players who have been picked and will be picked in this class on our past episodes. So you can go find those if you hadn't had a chance to listen to them. And again, we'll be back with another episode for you, uh, which we'll tape late Saturday night. Uh, so for Eric Single, he's at Eric underscore Single on Twitter. You can get me at Chris Burke underscore SI. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you uh, later this weekend.